Hello, this is the State Senate DFL Podcast, Call of the Senate. I'm your host, Senator Jeff Hayden. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to Call of the Senate. I'm your host, Senator Jeff Hayden. We're glad uh, that you're listening. Today is a really special day. Uh, We have uh, two really uh, esteemed guests. First of all, the Secretary of the Great State uh, of Minnesota, the Secretary of State of the Great State of Minnesota, I'm sorry, uh, Steve Simon. Welcome, Steve. Great to be with you. Good. And then we also have the ranking member on state government, uh, Senator Jim Carlson. Welcome, Jim. My pleasure. Good. Well, it's the fall, and it's uh, election time, and we thought it would be apropos to talk about elections. Imagine that with both of these uh, guys here. So, first of all, let's just get right into it. Uh, Secretary Simon, uh, help us understand, like, what do you do? What what's, how, why, what what does the Secretary of State do, and how does it relate to elections? Yeah, well, well the office and I wear a lot of hats. We do a lot of commercial and business work for businesses that are filing and starting and trying to uh, make a go of it. We also run a safe at home program for victims of domestic violence and stalking. But no question about it, most people, when or if they think of our office, think about the elections function. They think about us as the chief elections administrator. So I like to say I'm in the democracy business, and it's a heck of a time to be in the democracy business, that's for sure, right? I mean, the last two, three, four years have been unbelievable. The stuff I do is ripped from the headlines. It's things people are paying attention to, whether it's uh, Russian hacking or election security or election integrity. So this is front and center. So, Senator Carlson, I know you have a long history um, uh, in this legislature, but specifically working on um, election law. Help us understand your history with this and why do we feel like elections are important and the work that you do is important. My basic uh, philosophy has been that everybody should vote. And this is, you know, our country is an experiment of self-government. And so if you are self, you should be voting, you should be participating in the entire process of uh, choosing the people that will represent you and also guiding them. We don't have to agree or disagree on everything. Um, You know, I always say my wife and I have been married for 50 years, and uh, we don't agree on everything. So uh, you can't expect the... Uh, the voter to always agree with the person that's either in office that they elected or the one that they oppose. That's right. So tell us about the state gov uh, committee and uh, its elections component. What what is it that you guys do in that committee? Well, again, we're uh, state government finance, which uh, requires us to look at uh, the different parts of the state budget. And primarily, we deal with the Um, the agencies like the Secretary of State's budget, like the Attorney General's budget, Mm -hmm. like even the governor's budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, we look at what that's going to cost the state and Mm -hmm. we write a bill to fund that. Uh, Then in the policy part of it, we also look at the things that are involved in those agencies. And then uh, the other aspect of that committee is oversight of elections. Mm -hmm. So we hear the elections bills, the ones that uh, um, either offer people better access, you know, and sometimes uh, restrict access to voting. Mr. Secretary, tell us about uh, this election coming up and the elections coming up in 2020. How does it work? Like, how do, I know people are talking about early voting, yeah. and then there's actual an election day, uh, there's primaries. Help walk us through a little bit how 
we structure elections in this state? Yeah, well, first, let me say, as I never miss an opportunity to say, Minnesota is number one in the country in voter turnout. There's a reason for that. There are many reasons for that. One is the structure that we have. We have good laws on the books, obviously. We have many opportunities for people to vote. As we speak here today, many places and many of your listeners uh, live in places that have elections coming up this year in 2019. So if you live in the city of St. Paul, if you live in a number of suburban communities, if you live in some greater Minnesota school districts, you have school board or levy referendum elections or city council. It's municipal this year. Then we head into next year and we've got a big, big year coming up. The entire legislature will be up in the fall. We've got a U.S. Senate race. And of course, the jewel in the crown, probably for most people, a presidential election. So that's going to be huge. And it starts this year with something new for Minnesota. First time since the 1950s, we will have a binding presidential primary election. Mm. So typically we've been a caucus state. We're going to keep that for everything else. We're going to keep it for platform. We're going to keep it for a state legislature, every other office, except the legislature decided in 2016 to take one piece of that, the presidential contest, take it out, pluck it out, and put it on its own on a real election. So real polling places, election judges, ballots, all the rest. And so March 3rd, March 3rd, voters in Minnesota will have an opportunity to pick the presidential nominees of the major parties. So Democrat, Republican, and the two marijuana parties, if they choose to participate, and they can show up there. And it's coming up quickly. January 17th, absentee voting starts. So January 17th, Minnesotans will be among the first in the country to vote for president. So let me get this straight. So we're going to still do a caucus, right? February 25th, I think it is, I think. Um, So folks are still going to be able to go caucus and go through their platforms and and you know, potential candidates will go out and talk to uh, to folks to, to to get delegates for their conventions, but then they're not going to do the straw poll for presidential election. They're going to come back the next week and then uh, cast a ballot like they would in a normal election for whoever their presidential candidate would be. You got it, hundred mm-hmm. yeah. percent right. And then the number of delegates that go to the national conventions for each party will be set in stone at that point. Um, based on the results of the statewide vote. So the caucuses then and the other levels, the district conventions and the county unit conventions and the congressional and the state conventions will figure out who the individuals are who will occupy those slots. But the slots and how they're divided will be determined by this statewide vote. So Senator Carlson, um, give us your thoughts on that. How do you, did, you, did you support that? Do you think that that's the right thing to do? I do support that. You know, one of the things that we've uh, experienced in the latest years of caucusing when there was a presidential election is people didn't want to hang around for the caucuses. They did not see presidential elections at the same level as the local elections or the, the uh, legislative elections. So uh, they would come and vote and then leave. And unfortunately, that would, um, uh, that would allow them to to kind of uh, skip over those years when we didn't have a presidential election. And I think this, what this does is it, it formalizes the whole process. And I think what it does is it gives these major parties the ability to pick their delegates, campaign and pick their delegates. And you know we do use a, uh, a party ballot. So you will ask for the party ballot of your choice. Okay. And so 
uh, the likelihood of crossing over, uh, of doing you know some of the mischief that uh, we've otherwise uh, experienced will not be there. We know that we have high part voter participation. We have great access. Uh, can you talk a little bit about things that we could do even better or oh, things yeah. that are prohibitive yeah. uh, for people accessing the ballot? Yeah, sure. Let me give your listeners one example of uh, a clunker on the books, something that we got to get rid of. We got great laws. We got same-day voter registration. We've got online voter registration. We've got no excuses absentee voting. But there's one that I think isn't a good law that we should get rid of. Minnesota is one of two states. Arkansas is the only other one that has a numerical limit on the number of people that a person can help in a polling place, whether that's by reason of disability, um, English language a difficulty, um, anything else. So if you um, uh, come from an immigrant community and you want to help mom, dad, aunt, and uncle, you can't. You can pick any three of those, but you can't do four. That makes no sense. If it ever did, I'm not sure if it ever did. It certainly doesn't now, and we've been trying to get rid of that. And what I've been telling your colleagues, and, and I know Senator Carlson has, is, look, we're it's it's pretty likely that if we don't remove this law, we'll be sued. So what I've told folks is, look, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is let's repeal the law. The hard way is the state of Minnesota gets sued and loses and has to pay a bunch of money and attorney's fees and then has to get rid of the law anyway. So let's just do it the easy way. Only Arkansas has such a restriction, and I think that's one example of a law that we should get rid of. Senator Carlson, how come we can't get rid of this law? You're the you're you're on the committee. You're the lead, you're the you're the ranking member on the committee. Uh, it seems like that's a no-brainer. Well, at this point, we've had several uh, laws that we're not happy with, or that we want to increase the voter access, um, and. Uh, Quite frankly, we've not been able to get any hearings on any election bills in the committee. Okay, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you're saying to me that um, you are on the committee that oversees elections. Correct. And we're not hearing election bills. That's correct. And yes. what's the reason? What's what's Senator Kiffmeyer, the chair, saying that we're, we don't hear those bills? Uh, to our requests as to why we are not hearing bills, we get no no answer, no okay. response. So when you submit a bill, for, for our listeners, we send a bill request to the chair to say we want to hear it and air it out, figure out what's going on. A, you don't get the bill heard, and then you get no rationale as to why you don't do it. That's correct. That's, yes. that's how the committee that's works. Correct. Yeah. Wow. And, we, you know, we've had several, and uh, I, I was trying to, in my mind, pick out which bill the secretary was going to say was one of the worst, but uh, we have so many bad bad ones. For instance, you need to know that in the metro area, we have counties that have some rural areas and, of course, the heavily populated urban areas, and I represent part of Dakota County, and that has some very rural areas. And in some of those precincts, you could be doing mail-in balloting, but it is specifically prohibited for the metro counties. And what we've had requested by Dakota County, for instance, is, hey, let us decide what, um, what precincts or what municipalities can do mail-in balloting. Mm -hmm. And uh, that has not been, um, see, not been recognized as being a problem by the- So we, even had, we haven't had the, the conversation yet. We haven't had the conversation yet. So it doesn't sound like we're doing much work in, in, that's that, in that right. And, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a supporter of mail-in ballots statewide. That would be, you know, there's another one that, that right now the number that uh, you uh, have to have is uh, um, 400 or less 
people in a particular area so that you can do mail-in balloting. We want to at least bump it up to 1,000. So, so can we talk about uh, a little bit, I know there's been in the news a lot, around voter suppression or what could potentially be voter suppression on social media sites. Um, I know that Facebook has been in the news a lot. I know that their uh, CEO and president has been in front of Congress. Can I get your take, uh, Ms. Secretary, on what that looks like and, and, and what the issues are and how, how we can fix that? Absolutely. Well, we know from 2016 that a foreign government targeted our election system, both nationally and in Minnesota, by the way. We know that. That's not subject to debate. That happened. But the way I see it, there are two ways that an adversary can mess with us and mess with our democracy. One is to mess with the infrastructure. That happened in 2016. In Minnesota, we kept the bad guys out, and that's good, but there was an attempt to get into the databases or in polling places in some cases, not in Minnesota. So one is infrastructure, but the other one is to mess with our minds. Whether it's bots or fake accounts or fake news or just plain false information mm -hmm. that is spread like wildfire on social media platforms. Let me give you one example that's a clear-cut example from 2016. In 2016, there was a post that went like wildfire on multiple social media platforms. And the post said that the Pope had endorsed a candidate for president mm -hmm. of the United States. Okay? That's ridiculous, of course. But people believed it and spread it and forwarded it and right. shared it. And that kind of thing is a clear example. It either did happen or didn't happen. That's clear. That's pretty clear cut. That's something that a social media platform like Facebook, like Twitter, could intervene on and say, look, that is, you know, that's a clear yes or no. That's not just a characterization. It either did happen or it didn't. And that's where I think the social media companies themselves, in my view, have to get tougher. They have to get more involved. I know it's hard, but if they want to continue their credibility going forward, they have to do some fundamental screening and filtering. I get that it's shady if you say candidate X is, you know, a taxer and a spender. You know, is that a lie? Is it not? It's sort of in the eye of the beholder. But if you say the Pope endorsed a candidate, that's pretty clear cut. And can't we at least have some standards where we have some self-policing by um, these companies, I think so. Senator Carlson, I know you've done a ton of work and research on this. We uh, happen to have suites right next to each other, and I, I know that this is something you think about. Uh, help us understand like what's going on here and what we can do to stop it. I wish I could give you a very clear answer. Of course, voter suppression is one of the things that um, affects the outcome. You know, for instance, if, uh, you know, we know that there were analytics involved across the world in looking at how to, um, to let's say, program your mind, to you know, put a suggestion in your mind that, uh, uh, that one candidate uh, exceeds another or that maybe there's some information that uh, you might believe uh, if it's posted on social media. You know, you know I, I, I wanted to say that one of the things that uh, for instance, Facebook or other social outlets like that could do is to look at those kinds of false claims, false posts. The big one that was mentioned in Congress a few days ago was uh, what, what will happen if I as a candidate, uh, as a Democrat, say, or let's say I as a Republican, say that the Republicans vote on Tuesday but the Democrats vote on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. There's a major portion of people that, depending on where this comes from, they will believe it, and they will not go to the polls on Tuesday. They'll expect to go to the polls on Wednesday and, and be disappointed that they can't vote. That happens, and it happens in, 
you know, not in Minnesota because we do a great amount of advertising uh, about election day and, and we have a lot of good contacts directly with the voters. But those are the kinds of things that are being worked on behind the scenes. Other things are, for instance, if, um, if I knew as my party that uh, people coming from Scandinavia are likely to vote for one party and I don't want that party to get into power, I might be able to go into voter files nationally or locally and find out all those people with the last name of Carlson and remove their registration. And then when I, as Jim Carlson, go to the polls, I find out I'm no longer registered and I'm not prepared to get re-registered with the correct paperwork and, and IDs. That is happening too. That's the, the blatant voter suppression that we're trying to avoid. So can that happen in Minnesota? So the ultimate backstop in Minnesota is that we have same-day voter registration. So I've been asked a version of that question, which is like, okay, what's the doomsday scenario here? Let's say someone gets into our systems. What could they do? What, what chaos could they sow? Um, one thing they could do is to zero out a bunch of voter registrations, in which case the person would show up, any of us, for example. If we're not on the list, we could presumably re-register that day. Although, as you said, Senator Carlson, what if they don't have the materials they need? The other thing, frankly, uh, is what if someone goes in and um, changes voter registration records to show that someone has voted by absentee already? Mm -hmm. Not that you're ineligible, but they say, well, uh, uh, Mr. Hayden, uh, thanks for showing up today, but our records indicate you've already voted by absentee, so no amount of re-registering will help that. And you say, that's ridiculous. No, I haven't. I always vote in person. So it's that kind of stuff that could happen. I want to emphasize for your listeners, that hasn't happened in Minnesota. We kept the bad guys out in 2018 and 2016. We feel good about 2022. But that's the kind of thing, if jurisdictions aren't careful, if they don't spend the time and attention on that, that's the kind of doomsday scenario that could potentially happen. So it, it feels like, I mean, our country, unfortunately, has a rich history of voter suppression. And we know, in, you know, in the South and, you know, through the civil rights movement was kind of that was kind of the key. That was kind of the issue there, poll taxing and mm -hmm. and, you know, being sent to other places. And, uh, you know, I still hear about, you know, there's places and I, I just thought I heard about it in Kansas where, you know, it wasn't a polling place for a couple hundred miles or something like that. You know what I mean? So it feels like kind of a high tech version of the same old thing about trying to pick and choose who gets to vote. Uh, I, I guess my question would be, what is it, is is this simply just a corporate responsibility for these large tech companies with these large social media platforms, or should government get involved to start to help them figure this out? Uh, either one of you can answer that question. Well, uh, well, I'll just chime in here. So. Um, I think when it comes to those, what you correctly um, talk about, sort of the modern-day high-tech versions of shutting people out, we just have to make sure people in office have a watchful eye. The good news in Minnesota is we do not purge voters. You hear about voter purges in Ohio and Georgia and others. Um, uh, that doesn't happen here. Where you are off the list permanently, if you miss a couple of elections, we don't do that. So that's good, but it's making sure you have the laws, making sure you have senators like both of you um, in place that are keeping an eye on that and making sure it doesn't happen. You know, I would argue that the three-person limit is a version of that and ought to be, you know, stricken from the books. Um, we, we haven't even talked about, and I know you could do a whole show on restoration of rights for people who have left prison behind. Yep. That's something we need to do in Minnesota, uh, just as North Dakota and Iowa and Florida um, have done or are doing. So there are ways in which 
the old, you know, old habits and old ways die hard of um, shutting people out um, for bad reasons. And we have work to do even in number one turnout Minnesota on those things. Yeah, and you know, in, in my case, I've supported the automatic registration, for instance, if you, uh, even at 16 year olds, so that when you get your driver's license, you can, uh, and actually what we do now is we have an opt-in system where you put that check mark on the left side of the driver's license renewal application or the driver's license application, where do you wanna to register to vote? And then you get registered when that's turned into the, uh, uh, the state. Um, but uh, what I'd like to do is have it so that you don't have to put that X in the box. That's called an opt-out. If you don't want to register, then you put oh, the X right. in there. That that's called sense. an opt-out. That makes sense. And, you know, and we want to make it so easy for people to get registered, not make it less uh, restrictive, just make it easy to get registered and become, you know, become part of the government. And, you know, and there's a personal... Um, let's say support of that too is that once you become registered your name gets into the system where candidates can contact you they can identify you they can contact you and make sure that you're going to go vote make sure that you know that you are who you say you are and live where you say you live and send you literature do things like that so it's it has that political effect as well besides being something that uh, gets you um, involved in government and then also we tried to have this uh, at one time uh, have the requirement for the corrections uh, community to uh, train people before they're released that, hey, you cannot vote if you're not off paper. You can, you know, and if you intentionally vote, then you're committing a felony. If, you know, it's, yeah. it's got to be something that uh, people know that they shouldn't vote and then it, it clears up that uh, that issue. Of so so I know, like, voting. for instance, Senator Champion has done a lot of work on this. And one of his bills, and I can't remember if it got through, it seems like I feel like it hadn't, where we want to hopefully change the system to allow people, once they're released, to be able to go vote, and then therefore you don't have that problem. Yes. But one of the things that he was doing as an interim step was to give, you, you tell people that they can't, right, but then to send them a note and says that you can uh, Mr. Secretary, did we ever get that done? Yes, we did, and I got a story to tell about that. No, we didn't get it done. We, didn't get it done. we got a bill ready to go, okay. and it was blocked. So this was in 2013. I was your colleague in the legislature at the time, and that was in 2013. We had a bill. It cost very little money to do. It cost 300-some thousand dollars, which, though we all respect any amount of taxpayer money, in the grand scheme of a almost $50 billion budget is what is known as budget dust. And... Uh, and and yet, it was blocked. For, all, for a very low amount of money, we could have and should have notified people both when they can't and when they can. We want to avoid those problems, right? Everyone should be able to agree on that. We don't want anyone who's ineligible to make a mistake, think they're eligible, and go and inadvertently get in some trouble. You think we could all agree on that. We couldn't, and that's too bad. We couldn't get the bipartisan support we needed for that, I think, simple common sense measure. So one of the things I've been thinking about, we have, um, you know, a really good history in this state of welcoming in immigrant people, right? And so people come in this state, um, they go through the process, they become citizens, and now they're eligible to vote. 
Um, and as we know, then you have to start figuring out a system that sometimes is complex. Like we just talked about the caucuses and conventions and primaries and, you know, you know, in, 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 the, in some of the cities, the city I live in, we have ranked choice voting. Uh, so I'm sure Jean uh, would be happy uh, that we, we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, she's a constituent of mine mm-hmm. and lives in my district anyways. Uh, but the point is, there's, there's sometimes is different ways in which you vote at different times, municipal, school boards, et cetera. Uh, Mr. Secretary, what are the things that we do to make sure that people kind of know, like, when it's time to vote? where they vote, um, you know, and then who they can vote for so that they're voting for the right person. I mean, how, how does that, how, how do we do that? And maybe I shouldn't use New, new Immigrants as an example, anybody, new wow. voters or whoever, to figure that out. Well, man, I could go on and on but won't. Let me just give you one example of something that we've done in our office, which we have more than doubled the number of languages that we use both online and in paper materials from 5 to 11 very important for me it's personal i'm the son of an immigrant my mother was from austria i grew up in a bilingual house so i know how that works and once in a while i get some pushback i get people who say hey why are we printing anything in a language other than english doesn't make sense right they'll say uh someone has to pass an english test to be a citizen so why should they need it in any other language well number one it's personal i know how that works i grew up in it i lived it i breathed it you know Somebody, even if they're very proficient in English, as my mother was, when it comes to technical stuff, I don't care whether it's the refrigerator manual or a government document, they want stuff in their own native language. Any one of us would. Secondly, and this is typically an argument ender, um, we have been doing this in Minnesota in one form or another since 1896. This is not new. This is not this wave of immigrants that we're somehow bending over backwards for and we never did. That old mythology about, well, when my grandparents came or my great-grandparents, there was none of this coddling. No. Since 1896, back then the languages were Swedish and Finnish and Norwegian and French and German, etc. Now none of those languages are on the the list. It's Spanish, it's Hmong, it's Somali. You get the idea. But this is not new. This is not something we're doing that's a new accommodation for folks. We've been doing this for over a century in Minnesota. So that's one example. Yeah, it's... uh, I mean, it, it, what the, the secretary said is natural, that you want to read something. If, you, if it's very important, you want to read it in your native language. You want to be able to understand it fully. And so I think it's very important that we uh, acknowledge that and, you know, and meet up with that, that requirement. And that's, uh, that's really a social justice issue. It's, it's a fairness issue. And it also, again, goes, always goes back to figuring out how we can have people work in self-government because right. these folks are citizens, they right. have to vote, and we do want them to participate to the greatest. That's well said. So we're getting towards the end of our uh, of our podcast today. I want to give you gentlemen kind of the last words uh, before we sign off. Mr. Secretary. What I would say as we complete the 2019 elections and head into that huge year of 2020 if any of your listeners have questions about where to vote, how to vote, how to register, what the rules of the road are, etc., the all-purpose place to go is our website, which is mnvotes.org, mnvotes.org, election night results, what have you, mnvotes.org, one-stop shop. It's used a lot. Urge listeners to check it out. Senator Carlson. Well, I want to also uh, compliment the secretary for what he's done to make 
registration and voting easy. When he talked about mnvotes.org, that's where you can go if you're 17 and will be 18 before the next election. Uh, you can go there and you can register right on your phone. So uh, in the more recent times when I've gone to high schools, I've asked how many are going to be 18 before the election, and hands raise up, how many of you are not registered yet? And the number of hands that go up has dropped dramatically mm -hmm. because the young people do want to register, they do want to participate, and when we have something that's mnvotes.org, it makes it so easy, and they can do it on their phone, they love to do it on their phone. So that, that's an important issue, and again, making sure that we can get people into the system so that they can participate. Thank you for coming, Secretary of State Steve Simon, Senator Jim, Jimmy, like I like to call him, <laughs> Carlson. Thank you guys for being on Call of the Senate. We really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Call of the Senate. I'm Senator Jeff Hayden. Thank you. <laughs>